Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello and welcome to IndiePod, an indie games podcast, your weekly source for all the indie games news you need to know. This week, we are bringing you four awesome indie games news stories. Before we, of course, get into News Cram, where we've got even more news stories, new deals, and quick steals, and a whole lot of new stuff to talk about uh of course after that we hop over in our god bless the crowd segment to kickstarter to talk about an interesting game about mole rats and depression which mm-hmm. i'm excited to talk about and of course <laughs> at the end of the podcast answer all of your audience questions but before we get into that i'd like to introduce myself von hyde alongside my illustrious co-host the biggest of average adjust boys and We, of course, have a very special guest, and I did the exact same thing that Josh does in his indie developer interviews, where I forgot (laughs) to ask you how to say your last name. Your name is, is it Morgan Shaver? Yeah, just like it's spelled. (laughs) There you go. I I guess you never know with names. I've had a lot of people mispronounce my name, and I find it, I've always thought it was fairly straightforward, but apparently it's not. I'm glad that I said your name correctly. So we have special guest Morgan Shaver, editor and chief or in chief of Indie Obscura. How are you doing today? I am doing pretty good. How are you? <laughs> I'm pretty fantastic. Like I said before the podcast, I had the entire day off. So I got to play a little bit more of Mists of Noia, which I'll talk about in a second. Played a whole lot more of Dragon Age. Technically, there's something I should be working on, but for some reason, I have yet to do so. So. Super You're talking excited. about what I've been doing? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Dude, I went through that <laughs> game three times already. What are you doing? Well, there you go. It's not that long, so I don't have to worry about it, okay? <laughs> you just proved that I could easily get through it, so I'm not I'm not too worried. But I am, I am going to, don't you worry. But that is for another day. Of course, I have to ask, how are you doing today, Big Josh Boy? I'm doing well. Uh, things are, are looking better on my side as far as uh, this house stuff. So it's it's starting to calm down a bit. There's a little bit less in paperwork, so I'm not flooded. Um, but yeah, no, I'm doing great. Awesome. And did you notice that I didn't tell you to like fuck off or anything? I know. It's so nice. It's Morgan, it, it's weird. I don't know why he's being nice because every <laughs> time I decide to say like, oh, Vaughn, should we have this guest on? And Vaughn's like, oh, yeah, of course. Guests are awesome. He'll always just shit all over me the minute <laughs> that guest is here. I don't know what it is. <laughs> just trying to show off in front of people. I told you it's just to show them that they really matter. That it's like nothing else matters, not even my amazing co-host, the biggest of average Josh boys. I just got to like shit on you. But then after it, dude, you and I, we're going to cuddle. We're going to be best friends again. <laughs> so it's like not a big deal. 
<laughs> All right, man. I'm always down to cuddle. I'm so glad. Eventually, when you uh, move to Idaho, I won't even have to worry about it. We get to cuddle <laughs> yeah. all the time. All right. Well, this is getting weird, so why don't we switch <laughs> to a different topic? So, this is a podcast about indie games, as anyone listening probably knows or read the title because I did that on purpose. So, let's talk about the indie games we are playing right now. Josh, you are playing Black Mesa by Crowbar Collective, which is, if I'm not like if if i'm not wrong it's the remake of the original half-life right yeah so this was a team known as the crowbar collective now but it was basically a group of people who just wanted to mod the game to make half-life the original one something uh new using uh, a different source engine and so this was originally just, you know, like many mods, kind of like a, a passion project of someone just wanting to make a game that they really loved into something that, you know, others could experience or just something new for themselves. But as time went on, when they started releasing it and, you know, showing it off, Valve actually gave them the initiative like, oh, it's fine. You can actually market this, which I think is really strange because you don't often see that. Um, but, you know, Valve didn't want to do it because they clearly don't want to work on Half-Life games. Um, so they let the crowbar collective do it. And honestly, it's been a lot of fun. I personally never played the first half-life. I played all of the games afterwards. Cause I had the orange box, which was like this video game collection with half-life two episode one, episode two, uh, team fortress two, a bunch of great games. Um, and I believe portal was the last one on that collection. But anyway, so I really love the half-life series, but I just, never played the first one so this was the the first time now that it's gone through their 1.0 release i was like oh i gotta pick this up and for those who don't know half-life is a first person shooter that has a play on both you know the aspect of of shooting a gun and melee damage but also a, a good amount of puzzles and it's got an interesting story where you're this physicist who um goes into this lab down in Black Mesa facilities and they're doing some kind of experiment and they essentially open a gate to another dimension where aliens are starting to come out and you're trying to uh, find out what's happening. You're, you're trying to get out of the facility to, to call for help because these aliens are killing all these people in the facility. Um, and it's, it's an interesting story. It's a lot of fun. I really love what they've done because everything, if you've played it before, everything is enhanced. Everything is, you know, the, the graphics look very nice. The game runs very smooth. The actual, and I can't attest to what it was, you know, back in the first version of it, but a lot of people have commented saying that it is very to the same degree that you would have expected from playing it if you had originally now, the only problem, and this is kind of why I can't talk too much about the game, but I found out, you know, I, I've mentioned this on the podcast before with a couple of other games, but this is really a thing. I can't really play first-person shooters anymore. I don't know what it is. I don't know what happened to me, but I have to play this game in literally 30-minute intervals or I will get, like, violently nauseous. It is just so upsetting that I cannot play for more than that amount of time. Otherwise I'll just be like knocked out for an hour or two where I'll just have to like sit there and do nothing. It's have so you tried like the motion sickness, like pressure point bands or anything like that. Mm, I have not. Um, I've tried messing with like settings in the game to make it. So it's not as, uh, you know, 
quick as far as uh, the frame rate of changing back and forth, the sensitivity, like a bunch of things in the settings, but nothing has really changed anything for me. So it's basically been like, I'm really enjoying this game. I'm having a lot of fun with it, but I haven't gotten too far into it because I only can play for like 30 minutes and then I'm like, all right, well, that's enough for today. <laughs> like, Yeah, you start to feel really uncomfortable. Do you have like yeah. the same thing happen with third person shooters? Because I know you're a big fan of like Risk of Rain 2. So here's the thing that really, and obviously this is a weird tangent, but this is the thing that I don't understand. I can play first-person shooters like Gunfire Reborn, and I'm totally fine, and I I have no issues. The same thing with Risk of Rain 2. It's just, it's it always seems to be these style of games. Like, I had the same problem with Ion Fury. I have the same problem with, like, the, the um, what was it, the newer... Um, Oh fuck, I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, it's it's these these first person shooters that are more like realistic and I guess just have like uh, a crazy frame rate and crazy like sensitivity on on the way that you're actually looking through these areas. So I don't know if it's just I need to change something, but for some reason I cannot play these games. Um otherwise though, for those who don't have my strange issue, like it's really good. I love all of Half-Life as far as like the story goes, as far as the combat, it could be a little bit uh, better, I think, with the crowbar, but that's always how it was. So like, that's just uh, how it kind of developed of its time. It's just that way. But that being said, uh, that was a really bad way to explain it. That being said, like the one thing that I still love about this game is, and I didn't even realize this, but uh, at least not at first, but... <laughs> All of the scientists that are in this game are all the same voice actor. And it's so funny to me because they're all different ethnicities, but for some reason they have the same exact voice. Like, that's just one little tidbit of this game that I was like, what the hell is going on right now? Um, but other than that, like, the game is, is awesome. I wish I could play more of it. I'm going to, but very slowly. Um, but I didn't want to rant too much about it other than if you're into this uh or you've been thinking about checking it out because you're a fan of half-life or because you know you played the original and want to dive into it with better graphics um this is a great way to do it it's on sale right now because of the steam summer sale uh it's 13 dollars instead of 20 um i think it's very worth it uh morgan i have to ask you a question do you watch anime like josh is a big like no anime <laughs> penguin kind of a guy do you watch anime <laughs> at all yeah i watch a lot of anime do you watch it dubbed or subbed uh, it depends. Sometimes the dubbed is a little bit better and a little bit easier to watch, especially if you're doing something else. But I really like the subbed a little bit more. Oh, okay. The reason I ask is how Josh was talking about how the scientist is voiced by, like, every scientist is voiced by the same person. It reminds me of when you watch something that's dubbed by Funimation and you hear, like, the same ten voices <laughs> over and over again. But you'll hear, like... Uh, I'm a big My Hero Academia fan, hence having a podcast about it, and I, like, there's characters early on in My Hero Academia who are voiced by the same person who voices Mirio later on, and it totally throws me off. I'm like, it's the same guy! You couldn't just get anyone? <laughs> yeah, yeah super... So it's super weird because it's not even like it's not even like there's any variation in like the tone of the voice. It's like the exact same voice. Like they they clearly He's like just not had even faking an accent or anything. He's yeah, just like, no, yep. it's just I'm the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's so weird. 
<laughs> uh, normally we would go me next, but instead, I'm going to actually ask you, Morgan. You've been playing Mortal Shell by Cold Symmetry. Uh, how do you like it? Um, I really like it. In the beginning, you know, it's really difficult. It kind of um, has that Dark Souls-like feel to it where it's really, really punishing. So the first few runs were like, oh my god, this is so difficult. But then it kind of, I guess, inspires you to keep playing it more because you're like, nah, nah, I have to beat this now. Like, I have to sit here <laughs> and get through this level. And yeah, I just, I haven't been able to stop playing. It's really, really addicting. It's really fun. I think that the combat is actually really cool where you get to, like, harden your body like a metapod. I don't know. It's really weird, but I like it. <laughs> That's awesome. Are you, like, typically a fan of the Souls-like genre, or was this one special and made you want to play it? Um, I like them, but at the same time, you know, it's, like, in moderation. I don't usually play them a lot. I will play them sometimes. Like, you know, like, Bloodborne was really cool. Um, but Mortal Shell definitely caught my eye. I've seen a couple trailers for it. And then when I found out it's made by like 15 people, I'm like, wait a minute, really? So I had to play it and see for myself. And it's just so incredibly polished. The, the beta that I've been playing, I haven't really had any issues with it. So I'm very impressed. And you said this is the, the beta on the Epic Game Store, right? Yes. So there's an open beta right now on the Epic Game Store. Originally, they were like giving out keys, but then like people were like, oh, but I want to play it. I want to play it. So they just made it open and available for everybody. So yeah, I saw the way that they were doing keys was super weird. And like people had issues with it on Twitter. They were just randomly like popping up and giving away like 25 keys or something like that. And I guess like a lot of people were just snatching them up and not using them in weird stuff like that. So, yeah. which totally sucks that humanity sucks that badly. So I even <laughs> had like, so we do indie game giveaways like every now and then whenever I reach out for a code, I ask if they'd give us one for a giveaway just in case, which the game I'm going to talk about, we will be doing a giveaway for, but I will say that in a second. But, um, I have like, I've had several people actually hit me up and are like, Hey, just to let you know, a lot of people who entered your giveaway, like three or four people who entered are the same person just with a bunch of different giveaway accounts. And I'm like, what an asshole. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just so rude. Uh, but I thought Mortal Shell looked really, really cool. Am I the only one who thinks it's kind of crazy that, like, the first time we saw this game, I swear, was only a couple months ago, and now it has a beta? Like, is that is that weird? I mean, I guess so. I didn't even know about this until this beta happened. I don't remember ever talking about this. I mean, if we did on the podcast, then I'm just not listening. Uh, I, I don't think we did on the podcast. It was something that I like. So Eldar Basic and I, we're friends. We do the uh, Elder Talks game show together and or Elder Talks games industry together. And he is also a fan of like Souls-like games. And I remember like two or three months ago, I believe, when the game was like announced and put out this really awesome trailer, they had shown it on, I think IGN did kind of like a big like rollout for it at the time. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. So it just like kind of caught my eye. And then now... Now they have this beta, which I'm definitely going to have to go play because it sounds really, really awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm stoked. I, I just thought it was so weird that we like had, I, I mean, at least I had never heard anything about it. And then just randomly like a trailer comes out two or three months later, it has a beta, which is awesome. I'm glad that people are getting it in their hands. That's pretty sweet. Um, 
Morgan, would you mind if I asked you a question? So you are like, well, I guess a podcast is entirely about talking. So I hope you don't mind. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> no, she only has a certain amount of words she can give us. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how Donald Trump believes your heart only has a certain amount of beats. That's why he doesn't exercise. Like she, she can only speak a certain amount. That's it. And then her vocal cords just go away. I get it. I get it. Uh, but I did want to ask you a question. It's something we typically like ask guests, especially uh, I feel like it'll be super apparent since you are somebody who's focused on indie games like we are. But what is your definition of an indie game? And where do you kind of draw the line between when something becomes like it's an indie game versus like uh, like a third party game or a second party game? Um, that's a really good question. I think that, you know, indies are typically projects or like passion projects that people, you know, make themselves and they really believe in it. Um, usually there's definitely less resources than a AAA studio. So a lower budget, a smaller team, um, you know, and they can get help from publishers. I don't think that it's not indie if they have a bigger publisher, um, if they're lucky enough to get one. But yeah, I would say definitely like a limited amount of resources for an indie game and then definitely an indie game that's made by people. Yeah, it's like a passion project like, oh, I really want to play this sort of game. Why don't I just make it myself? Um, So you get to kind of see games that you might not see in the AAA world kind of come out with indies and surprise everybody. yeah, and like I think that if an in- a game started as indie, I would still consider it indie, even if it became really successful. Like I'd still consider, like Minecraft an indie, even though it's like huge now. You know, just by the mm-hmm. way it started as like a a really cool project. So. That's interesting. Okay, I I did want to ask you one more question, but I guess you kind of answered it in a sense. Um, With, like, the Epic Game Store paying, like, independent developers for, like, exclusivity. So, most recently, I think it's Glumberland, uh, the developers of uh, Ooblets. They got Mm -hmm. paid a decent amount to bring Ooblets, like, at least on PC, uh, for, like, timed exclusivity over to the Epic Game Store. Um, would you still consider that like an indie game or is that just kind of like, oh, they, they got funding. I I know that sometimes people think it's like that separates it from being an indie game, which I don't think so, but yeah, I don't think that that separates it. I think that if they're fortunate enough to get that kind of offer, I think that's great. I think that money can help them take the game that they were already making and make it into something even bigger. Um, I was talking to last year, the devs of chivalry too. Um, and that was kind of what they were saying as well, is that that kind of the money from the Epic Game Store allows them to do more with the game. So mm-hmm. I think that that's, you know, still indie, still counts, even though they have that funding from Epic. I mean, at the same time, it's still this indie team. And a lot of these developers were already working on the game before they got that offer and that money. So it just adds to it. Awesome. Yeah, to add on that point, I th- I think the only way that that wouldn't really be classified as indie is if the Epic Game Store was then saying, "We're giving you this money now; you have to do things a certain way." So I think if that like that money was on a stipulation of, and not the exclusivity part because that's obviously the stipulation, but if they're saying, "Okay, we're giving you this money, but now you need to change the design of X Y Z, or now you need to make the gameplay a little bit different because you're part of the Epic Game Store family." Um, in that case, I would, I would see there's some argument behind that because then Epic becomes like almost the owner or the team that's, uh, making those decisions. But the same to, to what Morgan kind of was basically saying of that passion project. It's those, like the whole point of why Indies are so great is having that 
ability to create something that's not just a from AAA of we have to make these choices because it has to be either lucrative, profitable in some sort, or like it has to be, uh, you know, not, and it's a weird way to say it, but not edgy, uh, just because they don't want to ruffle too many feathers. Although at the same, you could say that, you know, last of us two is doing that. But I, I think there's, there's a lot of differences with Indies because they have uh, a bit more room for imagination with, it's usually a smaller group saying, this is my cool idea, this is what I want to do. And as long as that's still in there and it's still that smaller team, even if they do get a lot of money or they become very popular, it's still that that dream project. Okay, so Josh, on your side, it's like uh, they can, like receiving, I, I guess... I don't want to say donations, but receiving funding from large like corporations, I guess, isn't the thing that draws the line. It's like when they actually start to affect uh, the development of the game. Like you, you think that in a sense like might taint the vi- the original vision. Yeah, exactly. Because then it becomes more of uh, more of that that higher parties. This is our game, as opposed to what it originally started as, whatever that might have been. Okay. I, I really have to say, I I say this all the time, but I love this, like, super ambiguous definition of indie games, like, that no one actually knows the definition of an indie game. It's just entirely up to, like, your, like, the, the way that you think about it. I think it's really mm-hmm. awesome. That's, for the most part, like, why we talk about certain games that people wouldn't consider indie, because they were, like, at one point in time bought they they were bought like how you were talking about minecraft morgan or like just random other games typically they start out indie and they someone invests in them um like i right. believe what was it uh shoot i can't really remember i i forget what team it was it was phoenix labs they made shoot is that really popular games as a service right now that's like monster hunter like i was really into it for a while but i forgot oh, what it's called now dauntless oh dauntless yes. yeah yeah Dauntless, exactly. Um, I remember having a conversation with somebody about Dauntless because I guess Epic had like put in a small amount of funding at the end of their development, and people were like, "Oh, that's not really indie." And I had a conversation with somebody about having it on like this podcast, and I was like, "It's still indie to me, at least. Like they're mm-hmm. an independent team. They just received funding from like the Epic Game Store and something like that." So. I do really love that. Um, But on to what I'm playing. I've been playing a game called Mists of Noia uh, by, and I literally have no idea how to say the name. Pazirialia. No, that was (laughs) as close as I'm humanly possible of getting. Uh, But I would recommend people come and check this out so you can see how crazy that name is. Uh, But Mists of Noia is a... (laughs) It's a survival game, but typically, like, uh, where you get survival games or survival craft games, like, um, there's, like, like Starbound, Terraria, stuff like that. Miss of Noia is a little bit different, whereas, like, you initially, you can choose between your single player or multiplayer, which I think is really cool. But when you choose, it randomly generates a world, and you choose from, I believe, uh, one, two, three, four, five characters, um, and you can play as each one of them having 
having their own kind of like play style. Uh, one of them being this more like Templar-esque knight where like he is a melee damage character, but a lot of his abilities have to do with his own defense and like his healing. Uh, whereas there is a, there, there's one guy I believe named like Lance who is an archer. Um, who has these kind of like more long ranged abilities. I believe the other, one of the other characters, his name is Allure. Uh, and he is like this, this melee focused damage dealer, but uses fire as an element. It's, it's really cool. I like the fact that you get to choose between these different characters and it makes like subtle changes to gameplay. Um, so initially when I hopped into it, I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. I love like it's, it's art style. It's got amazing character designs. The animations for their spells are very, very cool. And I enjoy it a lot, but the more I played of it, I realized that I don't think that a lot of what is in this game makes sense for a survival game for the most mm. part. Because, like, so you hop in, and this is, I should say, it's an early access. So any problems that I have with the game now, it's very possible that these will be, like, fixed or ameliorated, like, down the, down the line. Um, but... As of right now, for what I've played, I do have some issues. Um, so when you like hop in, it gives you kind of like this little tutorial bubble. And it doesn't actually tell you how to play the game at all. It just gives you a tutorial bubble. And it's like, hey, go go get like 30 wood. And you're like, okay, I guess I have to chop down trees for that. I'm assuming like that's typically what happens in survival games. So I like started walking out and I saw this really big toad guy and I was like, oh, that's awesome. He looks really, really cool. Turns out he's a friendly NPC and I walk a little bit further and I see like an orc and I was like, okay, I don't know if he's friendly or not. He runs into me and has that natural thing where you get damaged by running into enemies that I fucking hate beyond all... Oh, I just hate it so much. It's the worst thing ever. Um, But I like run into him and I was like, I, so you're an enemy. So like, who is not an an enemy in this scenario? Because you literally like, there's no screen transition or anything. It's all on this 2D plane. And I just walked over and I was like, oh cool, another guy. Nope, that's an enemy. So I just started attacking literally everything, because I was like, there's I don't know what's an enemy and what's not. And while fighting, I I enjoy a lot of the spells, but I have to say like typically. It seems like either the enemies, their their health is really high or your mana reserves are really low to the point where like and, and they regenerate so slowly that I found myself kind of like it's more button mashy than anything where I was basically just like mashing my standard attack because I didn't have enough mana to use any spells and it's not like I can do combos or anything like that. So I was basically just like clicking my mouse until the guy died hoping... <laughs> that he wouldn't hit me. Um, and then I make my way over. I start cutting down some trees. Uh, I thought it's kind of interesting. Like, um, it, this is just one of my nitty gritty, like nitpicks with a game that I typically have where like the animation shows him swinging an ax, but the actual sound of your character swinging the ax does not match. So you'll be like hitting it like 55 times and it'll be like, bah, bah, but I'm like, that's so weird. It's so off-putting to me for no reason. It's just so odd. Um, but I get like a couple logs and I was like, okay, it says I have three logs and I open up my inventory and I have like five. And I was like, what? It says I have three right there in the tutorial. What What's happening? So I go and I chop down some more trees and everything. And I realized that the tutorial, like your, your actual like task manager for the most part, um, mm. that kind of measures your progress is not always accurate. 
So it's like, what the hell? Because then it wanted me to craft armor with this wood. It wanted me to craft wooden armor. So it's like, okay, whatever. I come back and I have to figure out how to craft this armor because they don't have like an options screen where you can see what button does what. So I had to figure out like how exactly I interact with different objects. And it's not like super clear because it pulls up like a menu, but it looks exactly like your inventory screen. So it's like, am I, is this like the inventory button? But no, it was actually the like interaction. So I opened it up and it was like, okay, you have to make like uh, wood armor, wood bracers, a wood ring, like uh, a wood shield, whatever. It was like this miscellaneous amount of like wood gear. So it's like, okay, I'll make that. So I start making it and um, I didn't really know how to do that either. I eventually figured it out and I equipped it all and realized that like even though I had created and equipped all of this different wood armor like it asked me to, it didn't mark it all off. I was like, what the hell? Like what is happening? So I go and I get more wood and I do it again and it just apparently bugged to the point where like it didn't work. I could not get past this. And then... I was like, you know what? I want to try one of the other characters. So I saved and exited. And then I hopped into a new world. And it's supposed to be like procedurally generated worlds. But as far as I've seen, they're pretty much all the same. They're not that different. It's just like the the layout of the world doesn't seem to be different. But the resources and where to find them are slightly different, like differently mm. placed inside of stuff. But I could walk in one direction and know I'm eventually going to find this like this inlet where i can go mine and stuff like that which is is nice because it makes it a little bit easier for you to like find materials and know where they are but at the same time it's like it's not that much different your your new world you're not like you'd expect it to be like i i don't know i i guess you might expect it to be like this cool minecraft seed where you open it up and it's an entirely new world and instead it's very like blank slate um Mm -hmm. so i i wish there was a little bit more like variation in the worlds but i open it up and i i initially played as like this this lance is like archer s character so i played as allure who's this melee character um and i had roughly the same issues with combat as i did before it felt very button mashy and i went over and i started doing my tutorials and everything and this time it actually like completed the tasks and i was like oh cool awesome so i continued doing what it wanted and wanted me to get iron so i go over and i get 30 iron which is what it asked me to do then it asked me to get 30 coal so i did that and it's like okay now take those items like because typically if something asks you to get like a tutorial asks you to get 10 of one item and 10 of another item to craft this item you'd assume that those 10 would actually make the amount that it's asking you for this is not um it was like get 30 of this and 30 of this but also make 30 iron bars, which take two of each material. So it turns out you did not need 30. You needed 60 of each. So now you just got to figure that out. It was like super annoying. <laughs> um, and the way that it's it's kind of structured is that during the day, you're meant to go out. And it has this like interesting day-night cycle where you you go out during the day, you collect materials, you come back, and you're you're meant to kind of like build up your base. But as far as I saw... I have yet to build up my base, at least in the tutorial section. I And I've gone through, like, multiple nights and days. And they, at least in the marketing, like, on Steam, they make it seem like the night is very hard. Like, that's when these really strong enemies come out. But they're a little bit different. But as far as I, I saw and I played, it's not that 
different like it's not that crazy yeah. um i expected this large difficulty curve that i had to really prepare for when i hit the night but instead it was actually kind of like relatively easy for the most part there are creatures that come out during the night that are a little bit like a little bit harder just because i don't i never fight them other than during the night so i didn't know how to fight them but once i figured it out it was pretty easy um but overall i i think the game it's it's fun uh but i think it has a lot that needs to be fixed especially that like tutorial that kind of like task manager and it needs to kind of kind of like teach you how to play the game because when i was just running through like trying to figure it out myself there are a lot of like pieces uh in your actual like base that it doesn't tell you anything about like i just had to randomly like run around and click on stuff to see if i could understand it and i still have absolutely no idea what half of the things in this base like mm-hmm. actually do which was kind of crazy um like i said it's got great pixel art i really love it the character designs are awesome the animations are really cool uh, i think the spells are really awesome but typically you run out of mana really fast so i can't use a lot of the spells and i end up just kind of spamming the the one like standard button uh so mm-hmm. it feels super button mashy um each of the characters like has their own play style but some of them do feel really similar, I will say. Um, but there's enough variation between the few that it's like, okay, this is kind of cool. Uh, and that's mostly all I have for Mists of Noia. Uh, like I said, we are doing a giveaway for this game on our Twitter. So make sure to go to our Twitter account. Uh, as of you like listening to this, I'll make sure I start it then. Right, either on Friday or I'll start it. Yeah, I'll start it on Friday. That's what I do. So people actually know about it. Um, And all you have to do typically to enter our giveaways is be following us, uh, like and retweet. Please don't be the person who has five different (laughs) accounts. It'd be cool if people were just honest about it. Um, And we will actually be giving away two copies of this game to two lucky winners because Uh they gave me three copies for some reason. I was like, that's awesome. I only asked for two, but I'll take three. That's cool. Uh, yeah. So I have I have a quick question about this though. First off, this reminds me so much of Terraria. Um, it yeah. feels very similar. Only I guess they put more emphasis on combat than they do the resource management, or maybe they do. I don't I don't know. I'm just looking at like some basic screenshots and video. Um, but what like they describe it as survival. Um, what element is the survival part other than i guess not dying when enemies attack at night i'm gonna be honest it seems to be just the fact that you like collect resources to build up your character because as far as i've played there is no actual penalty for death like Mm -hmm. i guess Mm -hmm. the enemies like at least at night or at times like can come into your base and they'll destroy this crystal at the center and you lose so i'm assuming that world is no longer viable and it kind of like just blankets like blanks it out so you can't go into it again but as far as i've played there's almost no real survival element to this game like i've died multiple times and nothing really happened because of it like Hmm. i think you get like uh a mark that's like okay you you died and you have one minute which i think lowers your stats or maybe like if i died again within that minute it would delete the world or something like that but i swear i've died while that was active and it just spawned me back at my base again so i honestly have no idea what they mean by like this being a survival game gotcha okay well as long as it doesn't have any like eating or drinking mechanics i'm down for it i mean 
Yeah, you, you don't have, like, it's not like Fallout 76 or anything like that where you have to constantly eat and drink, but uh, you you do have to do it for, like, health. Uh, so, like, if somebody right, hurts right. you, you have to eat kind of a thing, drink potions, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But, yeah, it's it's not required for, for your existence in that world. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like I said, if anybody enjoyed what they heard about the game, you want to check it out, uh, you want to do so without like paying for it, go to our Twitter. By the time this is live, we will be doing a giveaway for Mists of Noia. Uh, once again, this was provided by the developers, so thank them so much uh, for giving us these codes and allowing us to talk about the game. Now it's time for us to hop into our main news stories. Our first main news story is over on IGN. It's written by... Oh, no. I don't know how to say this name. I'm going to say Petey, but it's probably like Pate. I, I yeah. honestly have no idea. Uh, one, two, maybe? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Onetto. Is it Onetto? No maybe. idea. I'm pretty sure it's it's more likely that it's Onetto versus one, two. <laughs> I think that that would be really cool. Morgan, what do you think? Do you think his name is PT12? I think it is. <laughs> it's a robot. <laughs> yeah admittedly that does sound suspiciously like a droid from star wars so it's probably uh. not true um this is my friend pedro tv series from john wick creator confirmed we actually talked about this initially when i believe the Derek kolstad had talked about wanting to create this john wick tv series or not john right. wick this my friend pedro series and he also wanted to do one on bendy and the ink machine but mm-hmm. it seems like at the very least this my friend pedro one is actually confirmed now so the article reads, my friend Pedro will apparently apparent bleh, will Whoa. be adapted into an R-rated TV series by the creator of John Wick. The show will be a half-hour dramedy, uh, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Derek Kolstad, the writer of the first two John Wick movies and co-writer of the third, will write the series and serve as an executive producer. The uncredited co-director of the first John Wick and director of Deadpool 2 and Hobbs and Shaw, Derek Lynch, will also executive produce the project. Also, uh, there's something in Hollywood that I don't ever understand. How exactly does someone become uncredited? Do they just like they're like no we're not gonna say you did anything in this like I I've heard before that like on I think one or two of Christopher Nolan's movies or something like that that he had people do stuff on it that went uncredited but I don't know how it works. No I, idea. Okay, there you go. We know indie games. We don't know movies. <laughs> I guess. Um, The game tells the story of a person who wakes up in a butcher shop where a banana named Pedro tells them about the secret and nasty uh, operations of the butcher shop. The banana tells or then teaches the player to commit murder. Okay. Uh, The creator of my friend Pedro, Victor Agren. Did anybody anybody think it's Agren? Yeah, there you go. I just got to pass it by you. You didn't think it was PD-1-2, so you just had to check it out. Um, <laughs> said the game was inspired by the works of Colstad and Lynch, and it's a dream come true to see them adapted in this game. 
He also goes on to say, It's hard to find the words to describe the journey this game has taken. Uh, Ogren said in a statement, A dream come true would be one way to put it, but in truth, I could... I could have never in a million years even began to imagine things to work out the way they have. The work of both Derek Kolstad and David Lynch all the way back to the stunt days on films like The Matrix has been a huge influence on shaping my friend Pedro. The latter... The two later find uh, them attached to a TV series adaptation of the game boggles my mind. There must be something... Yeah, there must be something bigger at play here. As a solo developer tucked away in a small corner of the world, it really makes me think that as long as you create from the right place, the result can reach even as far as the giants in Hollywood. Anything is possible, and I truly can't wait to see what is next. Uh, the company behind My Friend Pedro's series uh, is the same behind the recently announced Disco Elysium TV series adaptation, which is pretty cool. Uh, mm -hmm. We talked about that last week. Uh, Devolver Digital co-founder Mike Wilson is happy to see indie games getting the Hollywood treatment. Uh, he goes on to say, Major players in Hollywood have finally taken notice to the amazingly rich or original worlds created by independent developers from around the world, especially games like the ones Devolver works on that don't have uh, to round off the edges for a mainstream audience, Wilson said in a statement. I, I love that he just shoehorned that in there. He's just like, especially the ones that Devolver produce and, and produces and develops. Like, those those ones especially. Check them out. Like, let's make some TV shows. Let's make some movies on it. Uh, Morgan, what do you think about this? Have you played My Friend Pedro and are you kind of excited for this TV adaptation? Um, Yeah, I've played My Friend Pedro. I think that's a really fun kind of unique sort of game. I can kind of see where the creator was citing like Matrix influences with like the ability to slow down time. Um, I, uh, I, I don't know. I was very, I was uncertain about like the adaptation until I started to see who was behind it. And I was like, actually, that's perfect. Like they got the perfect kind of people behind it to really make this work. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with it. Cause I think that it's, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be good. Hmm. What about you, Josh? So I, and we've talked about this, I, I never played my friend Pedro, although I'm pretty sure it's uh, something that I would be into, but I just never, never actually tried it out. Um, my concern with this is really, and I mean, for, for my, like people like me, I feel wouldn't like this as much because I'm not really a fan of the style that they're going for. Like the John Wick series has never been like a thing for me. Um, just because one of the things why my friend Pedro would work so well is because the gameplay in it seems really cool. But the actual, like, watching someone just do that, I don't think would be as interesting. I guess it depends on how they go about this. I think what's interesting uh, enough for me is the fact that they, they classify it as a dramedy, which I thought was weird. Because that's not the direction that I would have thought they would take it. I thought it would just be more like a crazy, like, antics action uh, type of show so I'm wondering really how much they're going to stretch as far as like is this a story based show or is this more of just like action heavy yeah that is a good point like the the dramedy tag is kind of weird like I neither of us have played my friend Pedro so Morgan do you think that that kind of like accurately would be portrayed in a my friend Pedro TV series or is it kind of weird um it's it's a little weird I think um yeah, I think that it might be 
a little weird to adapt, but at, there's opportunities there to kind of do something different with it as well. Maybe explore the backstory of it a little bit more. Um, so maybe kind of have it as a companion to the game rather than kind of directly just trying to show the action and the gameplay um, mm. and kind of just work around that rather than make that the main focus. Um, so I think I think there's definitely potential there, but I can kind of understand the reservations too of just watching someone with the action rather than getting, I guess, some story or some maybe like comedic relief. So I'm hoping they incorporate the whole banana thing in there. I think that there's I think there's a fun story there that they can maybe expand a little bit more. Yeah, I I very much think that like I uh, having not played the game, I think that they would be like remiss it would very much hurt this series like this tv adaptation to not have the banana in it to not have Mm -hmm. pedro in it i guess because that's kind of the most interesting thing in this game for me is like the banana slowly rolling over and it has this kind of like deadpan face and it's just talking i think that's extremely interesting uh Morgan, the last question before we move on to our next news story, I wanted to ask you is like with uh, we've gotten like we're we getting adaptations of like indie games like Disco Elysium, Hyperlight Drifter, The Cuphead Show, and now my friend Pedro. Are there any like indie games that you really hope get TV adaptations or like a movie? Um, You know, that is a really good question. Uh, I think that there's a lot of indie games that have that potential. Um, you know, I keep thinking back to maybe like journey even though that i know that that's more of like a uh, you just kind of experience it or like having something in those kind of really beautiful worlds and maybe having that come to life like cuphead i think it'll be really cool to see animated so maybe something along those lines or like i know that they did i don't know if it was a fan adaptation of papers please but like maybe some of those games that have those elements to it would be kind of cool um I don't know, or like something like Dear Esther or where they, they might've been doing something with To The Moon as well. Like, I feel like I've heard a bunch of like wanting to do adaptations and then I kind of like, I, I stop hearing about them. So I don't know what happens, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I, I really hope that a lot more of the like indie games are, are going to get these TV adaptations. Like for me, of course, Hyperlight Drifter is absolutely the one I want to watch because I'm a big Hyperlight Drifter fan. But also uh, the thing I'm most excited about is like to have that Witcher effect where the Witcher 3, like the series came out and then it sold massive amounts of copies because mm-hmm. people understood that it's like not only did the like the game sell copies, but like the book series like people started buying those as well so i'm really hoping that with these like adaptations we see a lot more people kind of like take take notice of indie games and they're like oh okay like just like hollywood is taking notice of it and making these tv series and everything based on it um i hope that people do as well and they're like oh okay i watched the cuphead show now i have to go play cuphead or like Mm -hmm. hyperlight drifter the exact same thing so i think that would be really cool josh are there any like tv series that you hope to see other than disco elysium of course possibly slay the spire since you're a big fan of cards <laughs> i mean so well that is one of the things is a lot of the games that i play i don't know that they would branch off as well but then again i mean well no cuphead did have a story i i, I don't know because slay, <laughs> slay the spire i don't think really make like it's just you as a character walking through hallways and fighting enemies like yeah you could make a story out of it for sure but I don't think that one lends itself very well. What I would like to see, though, is like the Steam World games, like that world. I'd love to see some kind of series through that lens. 
Yeah, that would be really cool. Like to have I I I don't know if it'd be great in like live action. That's also something that I I kind of hope for a lot of these like things based on indie games, especially something like My Friend Pedro is uh I kind of like I'm afraid of it being live action because like you were talking about its combat um I I'm I think it might be hard to translate that to live action without making it seem like really pulpy and really kind of like you know what I mean like really in instead of something like the gun foo in John Wick it would seem like guns akimbo which is just really uncomfortable and weird like it's just odd um I don't know if either of you've seen those two movies but yeah, I, I hope a lot of these series end up being, like, animated adaptations, like, with really, really high-polished, like, animations versus live-action. But that's yeah. just me, because was, I like a was lot it more confirmed? animated content. Was it confirmed live-action for this? No, right? No, it's, it's just... just confirmed. Okay. Yeah, it's okay, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. live-action. So, gotcha. I, I... So far, the only one that has actually gotten, like, a confirmed aesthetic is Cuphead, and that one I feel oh. like... Well, that would be, be real creepy if they were doing yeah. that live-action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly uh, but, i mean yeah the only thing that i could say like i would want to see it live action for this one only if they did like no cg for the banana but it was like a real banana with just like google eyes on it and just like <laughs> <laughs> that i i think would be great it would look something straight out of bug snacks it's just like yeah oh, <laughs> yeah we need an animated adaptation of bug snacks in the future <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everyone's yeah, obsessed down. with bug snacks, dude. I don't get it. I honestly don't understand. Like, I never played uh, Octodad, so I I might just not be the right person for this. But I don't know. Everyone's like super stoked about that theme song, and I don't get it. It's just, <laughs> it's it a catchy bug song, snacks. man. <laughs> Look, uh, you're I talking about just, bug snacks. Yeah, I think it's just so weird that you can't help but think about it, and that's kind of the theme that I've seen is like what is bug snacks and there's not really a good answer for it it's just like it's just what it is and it's very strange i remember watching like the trailer when it first aired and i was like what is this where is this going and then the theme song i'm like this is interesting and it kind of sits in your mind for a while and then like the next day i was thinking about it, i'm like man what is what is bug snacks <laughs> i'm telling you it's gonna be the next goose game <laughs> well, I guess that's what's so amazing about indie games is like typically with a triple A game, unless it's just like really obscure and poorly marketed or like a movie like Cloverfield, something like that. Like unless it is poorly marketed, you typically know what video games are about. And then when it comes to like indie games, you're like, I have no idea. And that's honestly what's so interesting about this is that I have no idea what this fucking game is about. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to find out. Uh, so, speaking of finding out, our next news story continues to be on IGN. This written by the easy-to-say Joe Scrabbles. Thank you. I've heard it's a made-up name, but I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. Um, That's and why this it's is, easy to say. <laughs> this is Devolver Direct to be broadcasted on July 11th. So, if you hadn't noticed, um, there have been news reports about the Devolver Direct coming out. Like, I swear to God, there has been an article about the Devolver Direct every week for the past month and i have refused to talk about it because it was just like 
the Devolver Direct is supposedly coming soon. It might come next week. I have no idea. So now we're going to talk about it. Uh, so it's coming on July 11. So by the time this posts, sadly, it won't be in this episode, but it will be in next week's. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, this I, I don't feel like I have to get really into this other than saying I uh, will broadcast on July 11th, uh, 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. UK. Uh, that's July 12th at 5 a.m. AEST. I don't know. It's a lot of stuff. Uh, and it is a pre-recorded show, of course, like it has been before. It's going to feature new game releases, gameplay, and release date announcements with special guests from the industry to help usher these important m- marketing bullet points. <laughs> I love and, Devolver Digital. <laughs> yeah, so yeah me too. I mean, the thing I'm most excited about this for is just to get that weird continuation of the Devolver Direct storyline, how they continued that through everything. But I wanted to ask, like, I wanted to ask you, Morgan, first, is there any, like, specific uh, kind of, like, predictions that you have for this Devolver Direct? Because they do say that they're going to have, like, uh, previously mentioned titles, but also new titles, and they're going to, like, heavily feature gameplay because apparently that's what the youth is into (laughs) these days. So uh, what do you expect to come out of this? Um, I mean, I think it's hard to say. I think that they like to throw people off with their presentations. Um, I definitely think that there's going to be more of that storyline. I definitely think we're going to see more Nina Struthers, which I'm excited for. Um, I heard an announcement for Shadow Warrior 3. So we'll probably, I'm guessing, see a trailer for that or some more information about that. Um, They have games like Carrion. Carry on, carry on. I don't know how to pronounce it. The one where you're like a monster and you rip people apart. Um, <laughs> so they're probably going to show definitely some trailers, talk about some games, but I really do feel like they're going to have that comedic theme like they did last year where it's going to kind of make fun of things within the industry or have that storyline continue with Nina Struthers. Like I think the end of the last one was kind of like RoboCop when they were bringing her right. back. It's it's so out of this world, like it's hard to predict exactly where they're going to go with it. But I just know that it's going to be something that's worth watching for sure. I'm excited. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I also love that like no one really criticized every every video game brand under the sun has tried to do a direct and typically is like criticized for it. I mean, later on, we'll talk about like IOX, which I feel is a really good like showcase of like kind of a I guess a direct style but there are typically a lot of them that get criticized uh and Devolver is the one that I feel like never actually gets shit thrown at it because it's so weird they're just like we know this is going to like in a sense suck but also be awesome so we're just gonna really lean into that and 90% of it is actually this weird meta storyline about directs. And then the other 10% is your video game. So uh, Josh, what do you think we're going to see? Well, uh, I'm hoping that we actually get a release date to carry on because we've seen it and it's been slated for 2020 uh, from what I can remember. Uh, So it should be coming out. I'm hoping soon. I kind of want to get an actual release date. They're saying an unannounced title. So I don't know what that could mean. I'm honestly kind of hoping for another one of their like strange bootleg collections that they came out with last year where they were like they they made like a collection of knockoff devolver digital games i want to see like a volume two come out um i'm hoping for more of just the general wacky antics the one thing that was interesting is uh, i forget where but in the article they said something to like 
this press, uh, yeah, this press release makes clear that the show will consist of nearly all gameplay because that's what the youths of today's demand. So like that part, I'm like, hmm. I, as much as I love the games, and like that's obviously the point of this. Like I hope that they don't take away from the wackiness of their directs because honestly, Devolver Digital has one of the best directs I think ever in like all E3s just because of how they make it a show rather than just like a here's a game here's another game like they and obviously there's some people who are like well I don't want that I just want the game but I think it's such a great way to market themselves as like a brand um because they're they're putting in like these weird showcases of the games like they had the monster from carry on as a piece of like the actual storyline uh for the last one so like i'm hoping they still put in that and it's not just a i don't want to say anything bad about like normal directs but like a normal type of just game after game direct yeah i get what you mean like typically directs are just very quick like they they don't drag it out it's just like these are announcements this is gameplay stuff like that whereas devolver kind of flips it on its head where it's like we know that you just want games so instead we are going to show you like this small amount of games and have a large amount of a super wacky storyline that comes like one to the next to the next even though it's so weird that it doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. at times it like has a storyline so yeah i get what you mean i honestly look forward to it every year like Every time we talk about something like this, I've said that I don't watch like a lot of these these showcases and stuff like that because it just they take too long a lot of the time and it's just unnecessary, at least in my opinion. I just get the highlights from a lot of it. But Devolver Directs are absolutely something that I have to watch like mm-hmm. literally every time. So for there sure. There you go. So our next news story is over on GameSpot. It's written by James O'Connor. It is Shovel Knight Dev is hiring for a 3D project right now. It goes on to say, uh, Yacht Club Games, the developers behind the Shovel Knight series, is working on some unannounced games. And new listings for hires suggest that at least one game in production will be a 3D title. This is significant not only because the developer is known for their 2D retro style games, but they also have three new 2D games confirmed to be in the works known 2d projects currently on the slate at yacht club include a shovel knight dig shovel knight pocket dungeon and show er, and cyber shadow uh, now in a listing on gamatsu the developer is seeking a mid senior gameplay programmer to work on a new 3d focused team now this does go on to say a little bit more but uh i don't think we need to get into the nitty-gritty of c and c and all that fun stuff so uh instead Morgan, what uh, are you like? Are you a fan of the like Shovel Knight games, Yacht Club, and are you excited to see like a three a possible three D title from that team? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of uh, Shovel Knight. Huge fan of Yacht Club games. Um, I I really like the character in general of Shovel Knight. You know, you kind of get to see him almost three D in like a ukulele. Uh, he's in there. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see what their three D title will be. I'm not like. Part of me hopes it's like a Shovel Knight spinoff, but I'm kind of curious to see if they have something like brand new that's going to be this like new 3D approach with their, you know, their fun gameplay, but more in like a 3D style. So I'm really, I'm really curious as to where they're going to go with it and whether, you know, it's going to be something entirely 100% completely new or if it's going to like tap in some way to the Shovel Knight series. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty interested in that too. What about you, Josh? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, the Shovel Knight team, 
or yacht clubs is basically pulling a platonic but in reverse so they platonic did it where they made ukulele and they had the 3d platformer and then they went to a 2d platformer and so i'm kind of hoping that it's not the same level of success where uh ukulele although i think it did you know relatively well it received a lot of negative uh reception and I'm wondering how this will actually come out. I think it does make sense because if you're thinking of, you know, Shovel Knight has a lot of root of or roots of just nostalgia factor of, you know, trying to create gameplay that is very reminiscent of a specific time and of certain characteristics and gameplay mechanics from back in the day. So I think that would lend itself to that natural progression of going to the 3D world. So I would expect this to be something kind of like a, you know, Mario 64 uh, element to it, or at least aspect in that way. I don't think they'll do Shovel Knight. Uh, we talked about this a, a while back. They, um, I forget what article it was, but we, we kind of bounced around the idea of whether or not they would continue that Shovel Knight franchise or not. Um, I'm hoping not because of the same reasons that I've voiced before. Um, I think although Shovel Knight is great, they've put out so much and I'd like to see something new from the team because I think it's probably better for them to give it some room to breathe. Um, but then again, if they are going this totally new direction, maybe that you know gives it that breath of fresh air uh, so that it's not just more Shovel Knight and you get like a totally different style. I don't know how the fans would react to that, though, because I'm sure you'd have some of the fans who would be like, no, give us more of, you know, Shovel Knight the way it's supposed to be, which to them would be, you know, the normal style that they have right now. But I'm I'm excited to see what comes of this team just because Yacht Club is trying to branch out so much with becoming more of a publisher. So I want to see really what their future is in general. I just don't think that it technically will be Shovel Knight. Yeah, I I had initially thought that, like, it's possible that this wasn't actually going to be a Shovel Knight game because, like, maybe Yacht Club is just, like, at at this point, you'd assume that they just wanted to make something else because they've been making Shovel Knight for, like, a super long time with the King of Cards DLC, the, like, the Plague Knight, Spectre of Torment, all that stuff. Like, they've, they've been making Shovel Knight for... I don't know, like, I think, like, eight years or something like that. Like, it's been a long time uh, for Yacht Club, like, this team to be making Shovel Knight. And now that they're all done with the complete treasure trove, they've done everything they said they were going to do in their Kickstarter, I thought that they might take a break and, like, work on possibly a new IP. But, Mm -hmm. like, the the possibility of this being a 3D project kind of brings it back into mind where it's like maybe they are going to make another game in the Shovel Knight universe but like you said it be 3D it might be that like little bit like uh it might be just that much different to make the developers kind of not feel like they're just making more Shovel Knight instead they're making a new game it just has to happens to be in the Shovel Knight world um right I don't know I I think it'll be pretty cool um I I do, once again, like, I always kind of take issue with the fact that, like, typically when people talk about a lot of these, like, Shovel Knight spinoffs, they don't talk about the actual developers, they just talk about Yacht Club. Um, so, like, in in Shovel Knight Dig, it's not developed by Yacht Club, it's published by Yacht Club, and right. technically it's their IP, but I, that was just, like, kind of my, not necessarily a dig, but a nitpick at the way that that was reported, but... 
I, I am very excited to see like a 3D project come out of possibly like the actual team at Yacht Club that made Shovel Knight. I think it'll be really cool. Even if it is like, I, I don't want to say just more Shovel Knight because that sounds like in a sense derogatory. But if it is more Shovel Knight, I think it'll be cool. Um, I hope it's a new IP because I think they're really creative. Like this team, they they made freaking Plague, Light, Plague Knight and he's a badass. So let's see what they can make next. Uh, but... Now it's time to move on to our last main news story, and this is one near and dear to Morgan's heart. So, Morgan, uh, instead of, like, I guess, actually reading the article, what we're going to do is have you explain what IOX is. Uh, Yeah, definitely. So, IOX is a kind of indie take on, like, a digital direct or, like, a Nintendo direct. Um, The first one that we did was back in early April. We started sending out the emails around March, and that was kind of when the COVID quarantine started to kind of peak and everyone was kind of like, oh no, all of these events are canceled. And especially with indie devs, it's difficult because, you know, they they rely a lot on these events for promotion. Um, so the idea came around of like, well, let's do a digital direct just for them to kind of share and promote these games and get them in front of more people. You know, everybody's at home. So they, you know, they want things to watch. They want a distraction as well. Um, And that's kind of how it came about. And so the first one was, you know, had more games, but it it was like trying to, I guess, include the developers as well. So it's not just trailer, trailer, trailer. You do have some interviews. And with the second one that we did um, on July 1st, it was kind of experimenting, I guess, with changing it to be primarily interviews. And like, you know, some of the feedback I got was pretty good where it was like maybe the pacing was a little slow. So we're still kind of trying to find the right rhythm and balance where, you know, you get to see these indie games, you get to see the trailers and the gameplay, but we also really want to incorporate the developers as well, because I think that the developers are just as important as the games, and they, you know, they have better insight into these games and why they're so special and important. Um, That might have been a really long description, but that's IOX. (laughs) Nah, that was an awesome description. I very much enjoyed that. How, um, like we were, we were kind of talking, uh, before the podcast about how, like, I guess in a sense, like not a lot of people are talking about like IOX specifically. How, how do you feel about that with like kind of this huge push for all of these digital events? Like basically E3 has now stretched over like a three month period with literally (laughs) everyone having their own like digital showcase how, how do you feel having like trying to make your own and trying to do something kind of like in a sense unique with just indie games like how, how do you feel like that's going is it is it hard um yeah it's definitely difficult the first one especially because um around the time the first one came out there weren't as many of these digital directs they really kind of peaked um late may into june um, and ours aired kind of in April. I know that there was talk around that time of every, everybody kind of getting ready for it, um, but there wasn't a lot of things to point to. So there was a little bit of difficulty with like, you know, getting developers on board because we didn't have an example to show them of like, this is what it's going to look like. It was kind of this big question mark. Um, and I mean, Indie Obscura, the site itself is kind of like the indies that we cover. It's a small site. Um, you know, it's it's been around for a while, but it's kind of gone through these like, I don't know if the right term peaks and valleys, you know, where like, mm-hmm. you know, when it first came out, there was a little bit more traction and then it kind of died down, then a little bit more traction. So, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people now don't really know what Indie Obscura is. So when you like 
developers get this message of like, do you want to be part of a digital direct? It's kind of like, who are you? <laughs> what is what is this? Um, and I think that's the same reaction that we've had with like people viewing it. Um, we do we did have a lot of great help from um, the parent company that uh, is responsible for our site, so Greenlight Content. Um, and then we also had some great partnership with Shack News, which is kind of all on like the same network, and they really believed in IOX and they liked where it was going. And so they were agreeing to like host it and share it and make it part of their digital direct for the summer of like E4 and their spinoff of that. Um, and so that was really great. And I think that that got a little bit of more traction and engagement and response, but it's still kind of one that's kind of flying under the radar a little bit. So, you know, it on the sense of like, I wish I could get this direct in front of more people for the dev's sake, because we really want to promote the games. But on the other hand, I think that it's a really cool opportunity. And I mean, it's it's free promotion is kind of the thing. It's like, we're, we just want to help indies. And if they want to be part of it, you know, we would love to share it with as many people as we can um, and continue the directs. Like, it's not just going to be a summer thing. It's not just going to be April, you know, July. We'd love to do like a holiday one. Um, so definitely, definitely, I think potential for it to grow, hopefully, maybe. Fingers crossed. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be one of my next questions is if you got like if the team over at Indie Obscura kind of like plans on taking this and just continuing it kind of like constantly. Or is this something that you are just planning on doing in response to like COVID um, or is it just something, hey, this is like like you said, I like Indie Obscura is kind of like a passion project that is this something you're going to continue to do for years to come, I guess, as far out as you could see? Um, that is definitely my hope. Um, a lot of it also rides on the parent company, Greenlit Content, where, you know, they, they've helped us. They've provided some resources, um, you know, and supported us. Same with, like, Shack News. So it really depends on them as well. Um, but I would really love to continue doing it. I mean, even after, you know, the COVID situation is resolved, hopefully, within some time in the near future it's hard to say i would like to mm -hmm. continue doing it like i was thinking recently about pax online and how it it's more accessible for people who might not normally be able to go to a pax event um and so having an indie direct that's just a, a routine thing that people can tune in and they can watch and they can find a new game if they have you know the free time whether they tune in live or they watch it after the show i think it's it's really a cool thing and i think that there's potential there to make it something cool um, for yeah, years to come. And I think that also it taps into a different audience than maybe like our written articles where maybe people are like, I really don't have time to read this. I really want to check out this game, but I don't really have, you know, or it's easier for people to understand a game, seeing it visually and hearing it spoken about. So that also kind of helps of having those visuals there and having it in a show presentation that you can, you know, sit down, eat dinner and watch might be something kind of cool. So yeah yeah i absolutely agree that's awesome and it would be really cool for like iox to become a mainstay it's like something you look forward to pretty much constantly josh what do you think about iox um i really like the way they did it especially in iox 2 just from the interview side of things because uh, especially within uh, like indie games uh anyway it's it's nice because the appeal of indie games is that you're as just a consumer, it's more approachable, or at least those developers, those uh, bodies, those 
people who are creating these different games seem more approachable and it has like a more accessible window of you to actually understand who's working on these games as opposed to a larger studio. So it's nice to get that actual human side of things when you're seeing these directs and seeing these indie games because there's a good amount of people who will be into a game just because of the people that are creating it and who are passionate about it. Um, but also because I just I, generally I like to know more about games from just someone who's you know inquisitive on okay well how does this game work and asks questions in a certain different direction than you would get from just a you know one to two minute trailer of a game. Um, going into this, like a great point that Morgan made was people can see things not see things but well obviously certain people can and can't um but people can uh can understand things in different ways they all have their own perceptions on things and they all have the ways on enjoying how to consume content and like uh no offense to you morgan since i know you wrote the article but <laughs> looking looking through this i was like okay these are really cool but i there's certain games that didn't jump out to me when I was reading it, but when I actually watched through, I was like, oh, wow, actually, okay, this one seems really exciting to me just because it was more of an insight to it and it's more than you're going to get from reading an article sometimes just because you would have had to go way too in-depth to have that full article of 16 games that are being, you know, shortly summed up. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, you know, it's fun to write about those articles. Um, it's a little easier when it's a single game focus, but if you're going to share like multiple games, like the first one had 21, the second one had 16, uh, it's a little difficult. And also, you know, just like sometimes it doesn't translate well to a description. Like I had the same thing too, where I'll read something on Steam, like the description, or I'll see it and I'll get a completely different perception of it when I actually watch the trailer and look at the screenshots. I'm like, okay, this makes a little bit more sense than some of the things that I read. So I right. think having those visual aids is really, really important to like market a game. Yeah. But I, I still, I think it's really great just because this was one of our biggest concerns when uh, all of the conventions were starting to, to come to a close just because of COVID. I remember Vaughn and I were talking about like, it's almost a tragedy for those indie developers who really rely on these kind of showcases because otherwise there's no way to get their name out. And, you know, you could argue that there's there's a lot going on, like to Vaughn's point about there being maybe too much now, um, but it's still good that your team is giving all of these creators an outlet to actually voice their creations and to get their name out because otherwise I would have never known about a good amount of these games. So- Speaking of the games themselves, let's talk about some of the games that we really enjoyed. Typically, the way we would do like coverage of like conferences and stuff like that is by picking a couple games that really uh, were of note to us. So, Josh, what are your? I guess we'll talk. Each one of us will give like our three games or Morgan. I don't. I don't know if you have the three games since you are the person who wrote it, but we'll find out what happens. So, Josh, <laughs> what are your three games that you think really stood out to you? Yeah, so um, the first one is one we've talked about before, so I won't go too big into it, but it's Black Book. Uh, We mentioned them when they were in their Kickstarter campaign. It's a uh, card game, uh, you know, as usual. Um, (gasps) (laughs) Surprise, surprise. But it's it's based off of, uh, I believe it was Russian, like Russian folklore, and it is you as this, um, this, I forget exactly what she was, 
but it's this person who's fighting demons for the townsfolk. Um, it seems to be a very interesting game where you can make a lot of choices in it, and it's a card uh, builder in the same light of something like Slay the Spire, where you're getting cards and battling those demons, but you're also, uh, you know, trying to talk your way out of situations at the same time and making certain decisions. Um, the next one is Danger Scavenger which I had not heard of uh, until this, but it's a roguelite, kind of like a, it, it reminds me of a very bullet hell roguelite game, kind of like a Enter the Gungeon, um, but it just looks very uh, very colorful, very poppy, very fast-paced, and it's something that I immediately, you know, just it draws my attention and I want to know more about it. It's something that I'm really considering getting. Um, and then the third one is uh where is it it's undying which is super different because you're you're essentially this mother who's just got bit by a zombie and is trying to take care of your son uh and try to get him to safety before you turn into a zombie so i just really it's it's a story that i don't think is is very often told in this kind of light, um, especially when you think of like the zombie narrative games, just because you're you're starting as a character where you already know you're going to end up dying at the end. But I really think that this bridges the gap for uh, uh, a really creative storyline and just a lot of emotion that you can uh, be drawn into just because of the undertone of like <laughs> your child is at risk at every moment that you're playing the game because of you yourself. Um, so little little things like that, I, I think it's going to be really interesting. It's something that I'm going to keep my eye on. All right, um, Morgan, are there any three that stood out to you in iOX 2? I know that you worked on it, but <laughs> might as well ask. Yeah, it's really difficult because I'm, I'm a really huge fan of, of <clears throat> all of the games that were shown. Um, I guess if I were to have to, to select a few, um, the first one was definitely Before I Forget. Um, which is a game that uh, deals with uh, the subject of dementia from the perspective of the person who has it and kind of being able to see the world through their eyes. Um, I think that games with those subjects and that subject matter is really important. Um, those stories are really important to be told. Um, I often see them primarily through indie games, um, you know, the games that have these kind of difficult subjects, but they tell them in a really beautiful light. Um, the art style, the music is just gorgeous. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, speaking of art style, I'd also say Lost in Play, which looks like this beautiful animated cartoon. It has this kind of fairy tale vibe to it where you're playing as a brother and sister who are trying to find their way home. And there's these like magical elements to it, like these frogs with hats. And like, it, it looks really fun, like very playful, very fun, very lighthearted. So I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing more of that. And that could be like another uh, indie game too that could lend itself well to like a, a TV show because it already kind of looks like something that you would watch, like a over the garden wall kind of show. Mm -hmm. um, and if I had to pick a third one, it's so difficult because I love them all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love them all. Oh man. I, I guess I would have to also point out um, Into a Dream which is another game that deals with a difficult subject, which is the subject of depression. Um, it hits kind of uh, a close part to me where I also have depression, and I think that it's great to have these games that tackle the subject of mental health. Um, I think that the visuals are really 
like really pretty where it's kind of like you're in this this dream of this person you're kind of uncovering stuff about them and how they interact with the world um it kind of has to me a vibe of like to the moon almost um i just think that it's a really great project i really would love to see even more games you know that come out that have subjects that maybe are difficult to talk about but when you put them in a game sense you know uh, it makes it a little bit easier in a way um it's kind of like the game that you guys were talking about about um the mole rats and the depression and stuff like that i think that that's you know another one that'd be you know really great to play and insightful that's the word i was looking for insightful into the subject <laughs> mm -hmm. and i mean you bring up a great point in a sense is that like you never know how exactly this affects someone else so playing a game like before i forget in a sense is a unique way of learning what dementia is like like well i'm i'm never going to understand dementia or at least how it is for someone who has it unless i get it and then even then it doesn't seem like it's necessarily that apparent to the people who have dementia but video games offer that like very unique vehicle where we get to in a sense experience, I imagine it's still much different, but you get to kind of like walk a mile in someone's shoes, which out without like actually having to be like diagnosed with it. So I, I think that's very, very cool. Um, for me, the three games that I want to talk about, uh, these might go really quickly just because some of them I've never seen before. And some of them I have, uh, art of rally, I think really looks really, really cool. It's a like a rally car game it with uh, the art style and actually kind of like the gameplay that was shown in the trailer itself or at least like what looked like gameplay um it looks a lot like something that's reminiscent of uh like last week we talked about descenders or something like lonely mountains downhill the art style looks a lot like that where i really liked games or really liked uh lonely mountains downhill because it was just kind of like this goofy but serene experience where you're just like making your way through these tracks and it's not a racing game so you're not like worried about competition and everything you're just kind of going trying to do better than you did before and it's all about like uh just constantly retrying and it seems like art of rally looks very similar to that but of course this is much different because it's like rally racing and it seems like there's uh like as you wrote there's a career mode with like a bunch of different stages in different places so i think that looks really really cool um and i think the the idea of like daily and weekly challenges and leaderboards is pretty awesome um plus i'm super excited because at, at the trailer looked awesome I'm, I'm super stoked about that art style in general. Uh, the other games I wanted to talk about, one of them being out of place. I like the trailer was very intriguing. I thought it looked really, really beautiful, especially coming from like, I mean, it sounds bad, but especially coming from an indie developer, <laughs> which that doesn't mean that they can't make amazing games. They absolutely can. So I don't know why I said it, but, um, I, I think this game looks really, really cool, especially because of your, like, orb companion, the orb. Um, I think that's really awesome, and apparently it, like, affects UI in a certain way. And I thought, like, I'm very excited to see how exactly interacting with this orb companion works in combat. Like, we, at least in the trailer or the, the demo teaser, we didn't get to see a whole lot of combat, but I'm excited to see how that plays out and how you work with this orb uh, to kind of, like, just 
stay alive, I guess, in this world of these like seemingly like mechanized mountains. Like it's it's pretty crazy. Um, and the last game I wanted to talk about was Project Sky. I've literally never seen this game before, but I thought it looked really, really cool. Um, just from the like the gameplay that is in this, which is the Machinist Worst Rider. I, I guess I'm not 100% sure. Um, it looked very, very cool. I thought it, like, it reminded me of some of these, like, Goliath-sized, or, like, gargantuan battles that happened in Mass Effect Andromeda, which were some of my favorites when you would go against some of these, like, relics. Um, so I think it looks very, very cool. And I think, like, your your companion, this, like, mount, is very unique in a sense uh it looks very interesting it reminds me of like the chimera from world of warcraft but without looking super edgy so (laughs) i i like that a lot uh the combat just looked really really cool and i like the art style it looks very impressive so that's uh and i also just noticed that there's like a massive spine on a mountain range and i (laughs) don't know why i find that so cool but (laughs) yeah i (laughs) yeah project sky is a really cool one because it's being made by one person yeah. So all of the stuff that you're seeing is just made by one guy. And I think that that's absolutely like, I know like saying like, it feels weird coming from like a place of indie, but like, you know, you, you do like, there's this perception of like, Oh, you know, you don't really expect to see that. And then when you do see it, you're like, Oh wow. One person made this or like, this is an indie team making this. Like I definitely had that reaction when I was playing mortal shell. Cause I'm like, this looks like, you know, a, like from software, a bigger studio had made it and it's just 15 people. So knowing that one guy is making project sky is just mind-blowing to me like there's so much talent there and i really love to see it from indie indie devs damn i didn't know this was only one guy that's amazing yeah that's awesome (laughs) yeah that's what's so like another thing that's so amazing about indie games is like you said you can come across a game that looks like 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 hellblade senua's sacrifice i believe was developed by 14 people and you can come across a game that looks like that or these games that look almost like triple a quality like you'd expect it coming out of these larger studios like you said and then it's just this like dumbfounding experience where you're like oh my god this was made by 14 people and they're like oh yeah call of duty is made by hundreds of people (laughs) yeah yeah i think this is oh sorry I think no, that's like the, the special thing about indie games as well is that you do see kind of how much you can do with, you know, maybe how little or how little resources. Uh, I was reading an article about like the $70 game issue and like them saying, like studios saying, oh, it costs millions of dollars to make these games. And then you think about like, you know, games like Project Sky or Mortal Shell that are being made by these really small studios for what I'm assuming is a much, much, much lower budget, I would, I would hope, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) than like a million dollars. And, and, you know, the pricing of these indie games is usually really, really fair. And it's kind of cool to see, I guess it pushes the industry forward in a way of saying, look, you know, you can make this really, really cool game, like, like Hellblade, you mentioned with like a team of what, 14 people. Um, I think that that's really awesome and that makes indie games really special, especially the ones that you hear that just one person, you kind of, you think to yourself, wow, like maybe I could do a game, you know, as one person. So it makes it also like game development more accessible, I would say. You summed it up perfectly. Uh, Speaking of summing things up, it's time to move on to news cramp. 
News Cram is our weekly wrap-up segment where we, the hosts of IndiePod and Indie Games Podcast, and guests, uh, fill you full <laughs> of all sorts of amazing Indie Games news. This week, we've got one quick news story before we give you a new deal in Quick Steel and a whole bunch of new stuff, so pretty much as per usual, with the exception of the news stories, because typically we just talk about them. Uh, so... Our first quick news story comes by way of GameSpot, where it's reported that upwards of 60 game demos are headed to Xbox One consoles uh, as part of the Summer Game Fest demo event. As of right now, we only know of a few titles, which include uh, Skatebird, Chris Tales, Hellpoint, Haven, and more. Uh, that event will take place from July 21st and run through the 28th, so be sure to check out your Xbox dashboard for some amazing demos. Now on to some new deals and quick steals. Our first and only new deal and quick steal of this week comes our way of GameSpot, where it's reported that simulation strategy game The Escapist 2 by Team 17 Digital and... Moldy Tooth Studios is free on the Epic Game Store from July 9th through the 16th, as well as Puzzle Platformer, Lifeless Planet, the premium edition by Stage 2 Studios. Now on to some new stuff. Our first 10 whole there's so many. Our first 10 items in new stuff come by way of Nintendo Life, where it's reported that absurd co-op game Supermarket Shriek by Billy Goat Entertainment is headed to PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch, and PC sometime later this year. That action platformer Adventures of Chris by Gween Entertainment is headed to the Nintendo Switch and PC sometime in Q3 2020. That NSFW Shoot'em Up Waifu Uncovered by, <laughs> by One Hand Free Studios is headed to the Nintendo Switch on July 9th. I love how like playstation's starting to crack down on like censorship with games like senran kagura and stuff like that but then the nintendo switch is like fuck it bring them here i want to see some naked anime girls I, it's it's nuts to me that that's happening because of how <laughs> much of a stance nintendo took earlier years where they were like nothing is mature on this console and now they're just like eh, put some anime titties on it yeah i mean during the uh the nintendo like 3ds i think they put a senran kagura game on uh the 3ds and when i worked for gamestop that very game we could not put the display box out because it showed nipples and wow. i was like damn nope yeah i had a customer complain about it i was like i'm sorry I was, i'll figure it out i'll just put it back <laughs> you should have just uh, put pasties on it that's true that's where you should have put mean, the been... the price Oh, good point. Just cover up the boobs. I mean, but that was the main selling point. That was the whole point. It was there. Like, mm -hmm. well. tell your kid to look away. That's a joke. Not really. Um, <laughs> so, that uh, 2D, and I also feel like their studio's name is like an innuendo, but I'm just going to leave that there. Yeah. Uh, that 2D action RPG crosscode by Radical Fish Games is officially getting a physical release on the Nintendo Switch, PS4, and PC through strictly limited games, with their prices ranging from $45 to $67, depending on the edition you choose. Now, those are rough estimates or rough, like, I guess, calculations based on, I believe it was originally in pounds. So I just like typed in what that would be in US dollars. <laughs> I imagine with tax and everything, it's going to be different. And also Nintendo Life only said it was coming to the Nintendo Switch. I only knew it was coming to PS4 and PC with these physical ones because I went to the website. Freaking Nintendo Life, dude. Uh, that strategy game, Death Crown, by, I'm going to assume Cosmonaut, but it's spelled with a five instead of an S. Uh, Cosmonaut and Stas P. 
Pizarev. P- Pizarev uh, is headed to the Nintendo Switch on November 12th. That puzzle platformer, Nico Ghost Jump, because it's spelled with an exclamation point. <laughs> Sorry if I threw you guys a off little and bit. Scared you. That was a. Um, <laughs> what was that one game? Fogs? Fog. Yeah, <laughs> I remember it. Um, by Burgos Games is officially headed to the Nintendo Switch and PC with no known release window, sadly. Uh, that both SteamWorld Dig and SteamWorld Heist are getting physical releases on the Nintendo Switch through Super Rare Games with only 5,000 oh. copies of Dig and 6,000 of Heist uh, available for pre-order on July 9th is when those go live. Uh, so it's safe to say if you want to pick up those, I would do so ASAP because that's like the day this goes live, I believe. Um, <laughs> no, that's the day after. So, or that's the day before. So, make so sure you probably already lost them. <laughs> you never know. Like the limited run ones go for quite a while, and then sometimes they still have some left over. So, mm-hmm. I would I would make sure you do it if you want a copy. But it just depends on the the popularity of the game, I guess. Right. Uh, that bloodstained ritual of the night just received a new update that offers some customization or new customization options and a boss revenge mode which i don't know what that means but i imagine if i saw it it would be self-explanatory um <laughs> that action platformer res please by long neck games is headed to the nintendo switch and pc on july 15th and lastly that puzzle platformer ageless by one more dream studios is headed to the nintendo switch and pc on july 28th now over on Twinfinite, where it's reported that platformer, platformer Van Dozer by Space Bucket Games is now available in early access via Steam for $9.99. And to round out the group over on GameSpot, it's reported that Stardew Valley is soon getting some new endgame content in its 1.5 update, uh, which was announced by Eric Barone, aka Concerned Ape, yet uh, it is still in development so there's no release window given he mm-hmm. said he was on the no like uh in the nose to the grindstone stage so i'm assuming we won't see that for at least a couple more months at the at the very least so right. uh that dead cells just received a new update titled the update of plenty that totes to have uh significant changes to many aspects of the game including weapons items and more also I don't know if we just skipped over this, didn't report it or whatever, but did you know that at Motion Twin, it's no longer the like original development team making these updates for Dead Cells. There's like an additional team within them that spun off to just like do this while the normal like the the actual studio itself works on new titles. Huh, I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea either. It's like it's called like Evil Empire Studios or something like that, which is like a studio within Motion Twin that just focuses on updates for Dead Cells. Oh. So I think that's pretty amazing. Oh. I, I'm glad that that game has such a great following that they can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, that base building action game Drake Hollow, which was in iOS 2 uh, by the Molasses Flood, has officially been delayed indefinitely. With the developers giving little information about the reason for the delay, uh, I believe their quote was that it was just like, like it's uh, the reason they have to delay is something they don't want to spoil, so they have to be cryptic about it, and it's going to take a long time to fix it. I guess so. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. It kind of sucks because that game looked awesome and I was excited about it. I think it was supposed to come out like in this month. So it's kind of a close delay. Um, but if it makes the game better, I'm totally chill with it. Mm-hmm. 
that 3D platformer recompile, recompile, recompile? I don't know. I don't know how to say that. Uh, by Fi Games has officially been announced to be skipping PS4 and Xbox One in favor of PS5 and Xbox Series X with a PC release as well. Go see, go PC gaming, dude. Hell yeah. <laughs> so glad I switched. Uh, that action-adventure game Beyond a Steel Sky by Revolution Software is officially headed to PC a- on uh, July 16th. That RPG heaven- Haven, damn it, I just can't like Close read, uh, by the Game Bakers is officially set to release on PlayStation 5. I'm assuming as well as standard consoles, right. which is pretty cool. Um, that adventure game Moquette... Mackie? Maquette? I don't know. By Graceful Decay is headed to PS4, PS5, and PC sometime in 2020. That is spelled M-A-Q-U-E-T-T-E. How do you guys think you'd say that? No idea. (laughs) (laughs) One more time? Spell it. M-A-Q-U-E-T-T-E. Maquette? Yeah. There you go. We're gonna go with Maquette. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Morgan's suggestion. <laughs> so <laughs> that strategy games were strategy game Worms Rumble by Team Seventeen Digital is headed to PlayStation 4, PS5, and PC sometime in twenty twenty. That action adventure game Fist is headed to PlayStation 4 and PC sometime soon. And lastly, that monster taming esque game Ooblitz by Glumberland is headed into early access via the Epic Game Store and the Xbox on July. 15th now i say the xbox because i'm not sure about like how that'll work with like game pass if that's also part of it or if it's just on like xbox uh one consoles i i'm not 100 percent sure that's for the most part why i said that but if you're on pc you can at least get it on the epic game store on july 15th so big josh boy and morgan uh we've been blessed with so many amazing indie <laughs> games news stories that i think it's about time we get back to the creators in our next segment god bless the crowd this is where the biggest of average Josh boys hops into all sorts of crowdfunding sites, find something awesome for us to talk about, and we do just so. This week, it is not a card game. It is nope. instead a game called uh, Duru, which is a game about mole rats and depression, like we talked about earlier. Uh, Duru is a game about mole rat, the mole rat Thule and her unreliable companion, uh, which you get to know a story about the struggle with depression, which I think is like you said earlier very important um this team which is twisted ramble games yep. uh is looking for sixteen thousand nine hundred sixteen dollars they currently have six thousand seven hundred two dollars at the time of this recording with 155 backers and 51 days left to go <laughs> that's crazy that's a long time yeah um so i'm gonna start off with you morgan what do you think of duru on uh kickstarter um i was taking a look at it and it looks really good um the trailer that i'm seeing like the art style i think is really cool um and i really i really like as mentioned earlier i like the story i like the concept of being able to focus on that i think it's really cute too with the mole rats i think that they have this kind of like quirky weird cuteness to them um i really i really like the art style and then knowing that it's made by like three people that's crazy to me looking at the game it looks really like something that i would definitely play it looks like a lot of fun and then yeah even looking at the gameplay trailer it's kind of like 
it's such a cool concept where you have the main character who's going around solving puzzles and then trailing along behind them, I guess, is like a representation of depression who's like undoing the things that they're doing and making life a little bit harder for them. Um, I thought that that was a really great way to show that. Um, and even just the fact that the character can sometimes be helpful to you in a way, like you maybe can work around that and showing ways of like getting creative with your thinking and working around it to solve puzzles, I think is a really great uh, concept for a game. And I definitely think that it's it's worth backing. Like this looks really awesome and I would love to see even more of it. And I would love to see it, you know, come out and, uh, you know, then I can play it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about it, Josh? I mean, I think Morgan sums it up really well. Uh, my favorite part, so when I first saw this, I wasn't as into it because the, the animation, although it does look nice, I think when it's in game, it can be a little bit clunkier, but I, I really like the way that they do the actual form of depression, which is a character who's right behind you that is basically anytime you're trying to solve a puzzle or trying to get from one place to another, you have this constant just attack of someone trying to get in your way, whether that be you placing an item down and them moving it or they will end up changing the way some certain switches to, to change it so that a door is not open and try to close it on you to stop you from progressing in some for, sort of way. And the fact that you're able to, like Morgan was saying, there's certain elements where it'll come to your advantage because there's a gameplay trailer part where you have to do something quick enough where you know that your depression or this anti-character that's against you will end up closing a door and you have to run fast enough to get through that door and then also time it so that once it closes the door you can bounce off of the door that's been closed to get to another area so i think it does lean itself open to a lot of interesting puzzles and ways to become creative with timing as far as how you need to progress through the story and use that depression as a crux, which I think is a good representation of finding a way to live your life normally, uh, whatever that means, but to live your life where depression is not becoming the thing that drags you down, but that you work in ways to uh, move forward even if you have something that others might not be experiencing. Um, which is a more poetic way to do it, uh, or at least to say it, in just the fact that you're bouncing off of a wall. But I, I definitely think that there is a lot of, of love and care in this game. If you watch the trailer, you see that the three individuals, the, the women who are working on this, seem to be very passionate about these type of stories and these type of you know messages that they're trying to carry across as far as depression and, and dealing with that. Um, I do, I do think that this is going to be an interesting story. I don't know how, how much of the gameplay, because there hasn't been too much shown, at least in this, so I don't know exactly what the extent of all this will be. But I do think it has a lot of potential, and it has a lot of area for a great message behind it. Uh, the one thing that I don't really like is, and I'm sure you would complain about this, Vaughn, is they have a lot of tiers <laughs> that... They have five! Yeah, <laughs> before you can actually get the game, which I thought was kind of crazy. But I do like how they give a lot of interesting little things for them. They give, like, uh, 
icons uh, for Discord. They give then these like postcards or little like, you know, physical goods. But then you have to actually pay like the actual tier to get in to buy the game is $23, which is also a little higher than you normally see on Kickstarter. Most of them end up being around that $15 range. But I still say that, you know, if you're into this idea, if you like platforming games, if you like games with a good message behind it, it's still worth it. Yeah, I feel like the two of you covered this like very, very well. Um, I also really love the kind of like physical manifestation of depression. And like we talked about earlier, this this might be a way to like get depression across to people who just can't understand it because they don't like they don't suffer uh, with depression. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, though, the only thing about this that I am not a huge fan of is the five tiers before you get to the actual mm-hmm. game. And it's not like super straightforward about it. You have to like kind of read into it and you're like, okay, which one do I finally get a copy of this freaking game, dude? (laughs) But yeah, they do give you some nice stuff. Like they give you uh, the wallpapers, postcards, all sorts of stuff. Uh, You get to be in their like discord and you get to have like that like backer um, in the game's credits, which I always really, really enjoy. So yeah, I feel like the two of you covered it very, very well. Um, I also, like, I really love this, I guess, unique mechanic that your character has that no other character in the game, I believe her name is Thule. Um, What she has that no other, like, Molrat does is that she can craft objects by drawing them. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's really, really cool. Um, I don't think that's going to be, like, like us doing that i just think it's a cool idea uh that she has this kind of like special ability that no other mole rat does whereas like they say in the trailer that she's not the strongest and she might not be like the 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 fastest um but she has this one special ability she has creativity and kind of like her knowledge base that makes her that much more like powerful, I guess. And she lives in like seemingly this kind of like hunter gatherer society. So I think that'll be really interesting to see how like her role in society, uh, like to see what her role is there. Right. But yeah, I think this game looks really, really cool. Any final thoughts you want to get in before we move on to our listener questions? No, I think that covers it. Okay. Awesome. Any any more for you, Morgan? I didn't want to like cut you off or anything. Um, no, I think that all covers it really, really well, and um, yeah, I'm eager to see where it goes, for sure. Awesome. Well, there you go. I guess in 51 days you'll be able to find out if it gets back or not. <laughs> that is a pretty long time. I will have most, to say, like typically we see a smaller amount of time. Yeah. So you can go up to 60 days, but most will use 30 because it's been shown that that uh, increasing that, like a lot of people would think, like, oh, the more days I have, the better I'll do because I have more chance to get money. But there's been research that has shown the 30 day like kickstarters are generally more effective because of just the perception that people get when they see that 50 days of like there's also gonna like there's gonna be people who who see it and they go well i'll keep an eye on it and i'll remember because i got 50 days like i'll back it later and then they forget about it and never get to it or you see people who see like oh it's got 50 days it's definitely going to get backed. I don't have to back it. I don't have to put my money into it. I'm sure someone else will kind of a thing. You know, that that there's this like these different biases that make it so it doesn't work as well when it's 
extended, but they do have a good amount already lined up uh, as far as what they need to hit their goal. So I think they'll still be fine, but I could be talking about the same bias that I just mentioned. (laughs) Uh, So moving on to our audience questions, we had a bunch of people write in. So thanks everyone so much for writing in. (laughs) With the exception of, I'm assuming Robert from the Classic Gaming Podcast <laughs> writes in and asks, what's your thought on video games? <laughs> They're good. Morgan, what are your thoughts on video games? They're good. I enjoy them. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we need. <laughs> yeah. I I love that it's a very specific art form that allows me to, like, I, I guess... Uh, perceive things that I never would have before. Like I was talking to Josh uh, while we took a little break earlier, which by the time this comes out, I will have cut it out. But um, <laughs> Please do. <laughs> that, <laughs> that I like, I've recently in a bunch of RPGs and these like older RPGs I've already played through, but I've gone in and started playing as like a female character and seeing how like that works. Uh, me being a male, I never get to have like these experiences and having like playing through Dragon Age Origins right now now and constantly running into like people that are like oh you're a gray warden they let women into that i'm like shut the what shut up dude (laughs) like it's honestly the most annoying thing to me in that game is how many people are just like whoa you're a woman in the gray wardens i'm like i will kill you right now i'll show you that it doesn't matter what your gender is. And I love how, like, there are even dialogue options that are, like, my character being like, let's just take gender out of it. I'm just a Grey Warden. Like, it doesn't matter that I am, like, that I'm not a man. It's it's so interesting. But that's not, like, it's something that I never would have understood because, I mean, this is a small fraction of what I imagine women have to deal with in a lot of different career fields. But like I get to experience that and I never would have before without video games. So there's your long answer. You douche right now. (laughs) Thoughts on video game question. (laughs) Something came out of it. (laughs) Uh, Josh Nichols from that, their active quest. And he tweeted that he is very proud of this question, by the way, proud boy. I just have to point that out. He writes in and says, are you excited about being able to choose from five different types of pubic hair in Cyberpunk 2077? Morgan, this is typically a question that we get in here a lot. Are you excited about that? Um, yes and no. I think that it's great that it has all of those options. Um, every time I hear a story about how many different options you have to choose from for literally everything, I think that that's crazy and awesome. But at the same time, I don't know how long I'm going to spend cycling through all five pubic hair types to decide on the one that I want. (laughs) I think that that's going to be a little, uh, I don't know, a little weird for me. So I might just, you know, pick the first one and then keep going. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I am definitely on the same page. That shit is always overwhelming to me. Anytime I get to a character customization screen or like in RPGs in general, like trying to figure out my race, my class, my like all that kind of stuff. It takes me forever to think about everything. And half the time I'd like just look at the the first thing it randomly generates for me and I'm like, good enough. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's just too much. I'm pretty much the exact opposite. I spend so much time in character creators just like meticulously creating my character as to what I want. So 100% I'm excited about these pubic hair options, Josh. (laughs) Hell yeah. It's going to be great. Like I I specifically like 
I love how much customization seems to be in this game, whether it's like uh, the like gender fluidity of this game, which I think is really cool. Or apparently there's going to be like sex scenes in this game, which isn't a customization thing. I just want to say something about it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that like in in a game and that that takes place in a society where it seems like body modification is the staple like this is what they do i think it's amazing that cd project red is just like you know what it might be unconventional like it might be only seen in a couple games that people might not play like but we are going to allow you to choose these like different pubic hair options, your your genitalia, its size. I really like I'm sad that Epic Game Store took away Conan Exiles because I wanted to make a huge dong like <laughs> dude, but can't do that now without buying the game. <sighs> True <So>. struggle. <laughs> but yeah, once again, a long answer. I am excited and I hope you suffer in that long answer, Josh. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Uh, he writes in a second question, says, second question, if allowed, time permitting, uh, feel free to save this one for another time, but how has COVID-19 affected your video game habits? So Morgan, how has it affected you? Um, I have definitely been playing more games. I think that games in general are great ways of like forms of escapism. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know had COVID not come out, if I would have put, uh, the amount of time into Animal Crossing that I did, it was almost, uh. A little bit much where it kind of like uh <laughs> consumed my entire existence for a considerable amount of time um like the first thing i did when i woke up was like oh man i gotta buy turnips oh, i gotta do this you know in animal crossing and i would it would just be like my entire day would be like jumping back into animal crossing um and then also like with some of these uh i guess things coming out like the steam game festival where you get all these demos I'm kind of like, oh man, there's so many demos. I gotta do all these demos. Like, I can't pass up this opportunity to do all these demos. So I think that it's just exponentially increased the amount of gaming that I've done, which, yeah, I I've, I was doing a lot already. So it's just, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Josh? Uh, well, before that, can we just talk about the fact that Steam did that game festival with demos, but like... <sighs> I can't believe they pushed like 900 games, but those were all limited time demos that got taken away. I'm like, who had the time to play all 900 of those? It's ridiculous. I don't know. Maybe Morgan. Maybe. I guess. I guess. <laughs> no, she was too busy with Animal Crossing. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I don't think it's changed too much, to be honest. Um, at least not covid specifically like i i strangely got a new job right when covid hit that was going to be a work from home job so to be honest like covid really hasn't been the thing that changed me too much it's been more of just uh, adapting to a new job and just being told like hey don't go outside anymore um but like as far as video games go i wouldn't say it's changed too much the thing that's changed really for me is i feel like i'm trying to be a little bit better at least from the perspective of this podcast as of late to try and like really play a bunch of stuff or at least have something to talk about every week or to be able to reach out to different developers and things like that to do interviews and stuff like that. So like I've definitely picked up more time as far as it goes with video games, but I don't necessarily relate that to COVID. 
Uh, for me, my video game habits, like I, I play, I think less video games now than I did before COVID, which is kind of weird because it seems like the exact opposite is for most people, but it's entirely my fault because I was given more time with COVID. And then I was like, you know what I'm going to do with that time? I'm going to start like three more fucking podcasts and I'm just going to devote a bunch of time to this other like bullshit content creation that I do and love. So uh, it's definitely my own fault that I don't play as much video games or as many video games. But uh, recently, like, there's something Josh and I will be doing that's going to help me play more video games, specifically more indies, uh, that we will talk about when we get closer to our episode number 100. And, like, I really dove headfirst into The Last of Us 2 uh, to make sure I beat that so I can do, like, a, like a spoiler cast because I really want to get into that discussion and talk about that game because i think it's awesome um and now i'm just like finding my comfort food in dragon age origins so i'm actually like i guess now that i've gotten into the flow of having like this increased workload i can now like shoehorn in video games wherever i want and i also like I, I don't know if I said this on the podcast, but I just started taking a day off work so that I can prepare for school. But really, it's just like a video game day now <laughs> and a podcast day. So that's fun. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of weird how COVID like affects things that you didn't expect it was going to. Um, yeah, it hasn't changed my video game habits that much, I guess. Just my content creation habits. Mm-hmm. So also from that, their active quest, uh, Chris Penwell. My friend, everybody's friend, an amazing British boy. Everybody's friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, writes in and says, what was the process like of creating IOX? And did you have to convince developers to be part of it or were they all in? This is obviously for you, Morgan. Um, yeah, I think I touched on it a little bit before, but I can go a little bit more in depth. So the process of creating IOX, um, it was definitely a lot of work. It was a lot of like emailing and back and forth and, and tracking down games that would be really cool to show. And I really love all indies. So it was just sending out a crap ton of, of emails, just so many emails (laughs) and, um, you know, getting that and trying to figure out what was going to be shown. Um, and then kind of put that all together and work with, um, the video editor for it. Um, his name is Bryant. He's, um, an absolute wizard. He's a magician at video editing. I don't even I don't even know how he does some of this stuff. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, shout out to Bryant for all that hard work because I know that he put a lot of time into it. He did like an all-nighter right before it came out, the first one and the second one, to make sure it was ready. Um, I think that that's awesome. Um, and yeah, the first one, definitely there was some convincing um, needing to be done, I think where it was like, you know, explaining a little bit more what it was, I think. Um, the second one, it was a little bit less, you know, it was either, you know, more a yes or no. There wasn't as much back and forth as to what is this going to be exactly, because I was able to link the videos from the first one and be like, oh, you could do this. Like, here's one of the interview segments. Oh, here's how we kind of showed the trailer. Here's what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. But for the first one, it was definitely like, what is this? You know, like people would kind of had that like, what, where is this going exactly? What is this going to be? You know, where it was like an interest, but also like needing that clarification. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it was a lot of work. Like, For real. Oh, so 
what was your part of like iox what did you specifically do because it seems like you sent out and contacted a lot of these developers and then bryant did like video editing and i believe at least in iox 2 you had someone else do the the narration and you did the write-up but what did uh, like you specifically work on with it so i did all of the emailing so i acquired all of the indie devs for the show um i wrote the script um i kind of figured out which video would go where um, I did some audio narration of the questions. I did the voiceover. Um, I very specifically did not want to be the host of either one because I feel like, you know, my face is all over IO in general and I don't think that it needs to be anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like the website you guys were mentioning, like it's 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 a lot of me and I don't really, you know, like I want other people to be part of these things and I want to include other people. So, you know, um, both hosts for the first one and the second one were absolutely wonderful. I loved having them on board. Um, so yeah, I did the script writing, um, and then yeah, Bryant took all of the content and pieced it together and and did his magic. I don't I don't know. I'm not like a really good video editor. You know, I've tried on the side to do video editing, and I just I can't. So seeing him make this show that looks so amazingly professional is is awesome. And I know that he really liked some of the compliments that he got back of like, oh, it looks like a Nintendo Direct because like that's something that he's really passionate about and I think would love to do. And I think that, uh, yeah, if, if Nintendo was ever hiring someone, like he'd be perfect. He's amazing. <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, he also asked a question and Josh and Vaughn, do you think you'd be good at presenting a showcase if given the chance? Uh, I, I don't know if we'd be good at it, but I, mean, I, I, I think I'd be good. What at do it. you think? I don't, I a hundred percent think I'd be good at it because I think that I'm pretty damn good at, I don't do it a lot, especially on this podcast, but I'm pretty good at just being that like dumb announcer voice and like running things. I've had to do it in like many past jobs, uh, in general. So like, and granted there would obviously be the whole, like, I'd have to get used to it, but regardless, I'd be super excited to do anything that would be something like that. Just because I think it's, it would be so cool to actually get to showcase all of that content, like, and to be, uh, in front of like trying to promote all of, you know, the, the indie work that's happening. Like, so cool yeah i i definitely believe you'd be good i didn't mean to say like (laughs) that i thought you'd be bad at it um i i honestly like i i don't know necessarily if i'd be good at it i do video editing on the side so i think it would be really cool and i would like to do that kind of stuff um i like have thought about it in the past and it's something that i would really look forward to as IndiePod continues to grow an audience is that I would like to do something similar to this like the uh, like IOX or the the wholesome games direct like just something additional to help developers get the word of their games out there than what we do at IndiePod mm-hmm. um, it's like something that I kind of like strive to do it's one of the main reasons that I'm kind of like working hard on learning video editing is so that I can do something similar to this uh, so Yeah, that's, like, I would love to do it, and I commend everyone at, like, Indie Obscura for working on this, especially you, Morgan, for writing the script and everything, and Bryant for working on the the video editing, Um, because I know that that could be really, really hard to do, and it seems like you pulled it off, I mean, pretty much flawlessly, which is awesome, so. Well, well, thank you. I, yeah, definitely appreciate that, and I know that, you know, Bryant appreciates that as well, and 
Yeah, it was it was it was a lot of work because I also was doing my regular job in addition to it. But I think that it's worth it because it's you know it's like what indie obscure is trying to do, similar to like indie pod of like just want to promote indie developers. I really love indies and I want to you know, give them the love and attention that they deserve. Um, you know, I think that a lot of websites and outlets talk about AAA games, but not as much indies. And I think that indies deserve the same amount of love, uh, if not more. So, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And we feel the same way. That's the whole reason, like, the onus of starting this podcast was because we didn't think that, like, indie games were getting enough. Not, like, not uh, that these larger sites were talking about indie games enough. So we're like, fuck it, we'll do it. And we've slowly gained a following. And I honestly, like, this, how you were talking about Indie Obscura being a passion project, this is my passion project. Like, I'm I'm working full-time and I'll be going to school full-time soon. And my fiancé was like, hey, like, what are you going to do? Like, uh, hopefully your stuff doesn't get in the way of like you doing your schoolwork and I'm like no that's going to be a priority there are basically three priorities for me at this moment uh, at least when it comes to like my professional life is like having enough money to live working at the shitty job I do um, <laughs> um like going to school so that I can kind of like develop myself as a video editor and as a host and kind of like get the qualifications I need to be a professional and the last being that IndiePod is a priority for me. She was like, are you going to like maybe take your podcast and do them a little bit less? And like, yeah, I'm definitely, if I have to, the one thing that will not change is IndiePod. I will continue to do this. And I've said it a thousand times is that I will put out one episode a week at the very least of this podcast until the day I die, because I love doing it. Honestly, like I, I really do. I I love what we do. Josh is an amazing co-host. I love talking about indie games. I love spotlighting indie independent games that not many people would know anything about or would know to even look for it. Um, so yeah, that's just me ranting for absolutely no reason because we have one more question uh, by David Giltinan. I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I know I just fucked up your name. Sorry, Sorry David. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, I'm fairly certain, obviously, a question for Morgan as well. Uh, he writes in and says, which indie game would mesh best with Tetris? What do you think, Morgan? <laughs> that is a very good question. Um, I was thinking about it a little bit, <clears throat> and I was thinking about Puyo Puyo Tetris uh, specifically, and how they included another similar puzzler-type game to go with the general Tetris game. Um, and I think that it works really, really well. I think Puyo Puyo Tetris was an amazing game. Um, and so I think that there's potential like that with an indie game um, where you could have a similar puzzler thing go head to head with Tetris and kind of mesh them together. Um, and Puyo Puyo Tetris also had like a story mode as well. So there's opportunity there to kind of incorporate because I know indies have these kind of cool stories with that. And then I was looking at indie puzzlers and I saw one that kind of caught my eye on the Switch, which is called like Treasure Stack. Mm -hmm. And that looks kind of interesting where I think that might work with like a like a Tetris kind of style game. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a it's a really interesting question and it's a hard question to answer just because. Yeah, I mean, you would really have to like incorporate some sort of puzzler element to it i guess to go with tetris since that's like the main thing of tetris um right. yeah i don't know 
Um, I'll go with mine. So this would be, it would be super difficult to pull off, I think, just to get this to work right. And I think it would also still be super difficult to play. But I think it'd be super cool if you mesh something like Tetris and Fez together. Because think about trying to play Tetris, but then also having four sides and you having to rotate between them to like uh, solve certain puzzles or, or to like certain items are, are falling down certain sides at any given time. And you have to like kind of like rotate it both the actual board itself and rotate the pieces like at the same time. Like I'm sure that would be insanely difficult. But if you could get it right, I think it would look really cool. Yeah, and I mean, also, like, a mixture of Fez where, like, um, where you kind of have to build your own platforms to get through puzzles and stuff like that. I think that would be very, very cool. Right. I do not have an answer for this because I'm too dumb to play Tetris. I'm going to be 100% (laughs) honest. Not good at it. Never been good at it. My sister's (laughs) really good at it super jealous about that because everyone loves tetris but i'm a little dum-dum and i can't play it so i don't know what games would mesh well um the only games that like come to mind are games like like these obviously it's not an indie game but something like puzzles and dragons which is like uh like a match three kind of game but it's already kind of a puzzle game but i think something like tetris but like that would be really really cool uh but other than that i have literally no idea because (laughs) (laughs) i am not good at tetris and will never be but that is the end of this podcast thanks everyone so much for listening if you would like to chat with us outside the show you can follow our podcast at indiepod on twitter you can follow me uh, at Hyde Legion. And of course, make sure you follow at IndiePod if you listen to this because you get like, uh, we make sure to link out for giveaways, which like I said, there's going to be one by the time this posts for Mists of Noia. Um, and next week, we're also going to be having a giveaway. So make sure, if anything, you follow us at IndiePod for free indie games and to spread the word about indie games but also uh to get notifications when our episodes go live our kickstarter notifications for our god bless the crowd and a whole lot more and you can also write in your questions there or you could do it at indie incursion podcast at gmail.com you can write them in if you want to write like a super long one like we had a while ago um and you can follow Big Josh Boy at the underscore George ninety. You recently had an indie developer interview uh, from the developers of Dreamscaper, correct? Yeah, so we just uh, launched that today. You should definitely check it out if you like roguelites. We had um, a back and forth about all of the different uh, accessibility standpoints, the different abilities that you can use, what the game is all about. Um, It was one of those interviews where I had a a set number of questions kind of lined up. And then just as it was going, I just kept getting more and more interested in what the game could offer. And so I was just like off the spot being like, oh, I need to ask this because I want to know and I need to ask this. So it was was a lot of fun. Um, And by the end of it, I think I'm more excited about the game Dreamscaper than I was, you know, before going into it. So I definitely recommend it, uh, especially if you've heard of it and want to know more about it. Um, it was a good interview. Awesome. I'm super excited to listen to it. I love your indie developer interviews, but we also have Morgan. Where can people find you, your work and what kind of stuff do you want to shout out? Uh, yeah, I'm really active on Twitter. Um, my username, I don't know how easy this is going to be. It's going to be at author underscore m shaver 
<laughs> uh, and shaver is spelled exactly as you think it's spelled, just like the razor, S-H-A-V-E-R, fun last name. Um, and then you can follow, if you like uh, indie stuff, um, Indie Obscura, it's at Indie underscore uh, Obscura. And we post lots of, you know, we like to reshare stuff from devs, retweet devs, and then we do on the website interviews. We recently did one with the dev of The Kind Chamomile. Um, it's a really cute, adorable little game that's being made. And then, yeah, whenever we have the next IOX, we'll be sharing that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, really, really looking forward to just talking even more indie games online, on the website, in general, to anyone who will listen. <laughs> <laughs> You also do some live streaming as well, right? I do. Yeah, it's it's kind of incorporating that like different ways to show up indie games. So I try to do a live stream every week um, on Saturday on Twitch for Indie Obscura. And, you know, like new games that are coming out, new indies, I'd like to show, um, you know, what they look like and kind of make it a little bit more fun where it's like, yeah, look how fun this game is. You know, you should check it out. Um, I think the next one I'm going to be doing, I guess, is for, for Mortal Shell, because I've been just so into that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I do that. Hopefully every week I try to. There's like some weeks where it's like stuff comes up and I feel really bad, but I'm, I'm going to try to get better at being like weekly. <laughs> Very cool. Well, awesome. Yeah. Make sure if you love indie games to check out Indie Obscura, check out Morgan. Uh, I honestly enjoy your content and I'm excited to actually kind of watch you do more streams. I don't watch live streams all that much, but I've caught like one or two of yours or just like little snippets that you've posted on Twitter. They seem pretty cool. So uh, thank you so much for being on here, Morgan. I was, I thought it was an awesome podcast. I think you did really well. Well, thank you for having me. I really, I really appreciate it. Um, I don't usually get asked to like do podcasts. So like when I do, I get super excited and I really like yours too. So I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. That's super sweet. It's weird Thank to you. hear people like our podcast. I know it is. Well, <laughs> it is. The, the I like the way that you, the two of you like, you know, mesh well and you talk with each other and you have really interesting people on. And obviously I love indies and, you know, you can really tell through the podcast how much you guys love indies. Like you were mentioning the passion project thing and that really shines through. And I think that it makes it, yeah, really, really enjoyable. So I do like listening to you guys' podcast a lot. Oh, that's super nice. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was sweet. You're going to make me cry. So i got to end <laughs> this while I can. Uh, thanks, everyone, so much for listening. And I was going to say something else, but I totally forgot what I was going to say. So we will talk to you next week. Bye, fam. <laughs>